Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we have two things we're going to talk about. First, I want to go back through some Josh Chandler Semedo stuff. Uh, you guys know this if you're listening to this podcast, but that's the linebacker who transferred from West Virginia to Colorado this offseason um, because there was some news around him. And we're actually not going to go any deeper into that right now, but we'll get there. Um, also, in the second half of the show, John Wilner said that uh, the Pac-12 is trying to get rid of a lot of the the short notification uh, kickoff games. Um, So like the six-day notice, the 12-day notice. Um, And he said in a story basically that that's more important to the conference than getting rid of the the Pac-12 after dark game. So I want to talk a little bit about that stuff in the second half of the show. That's the plan for today. Um, Two notes. Uh, first of all, I went to that Avs game last night, which was a lot of fun. Lost my voice. Didn't, like, totally lose it, but when I tried to talk, it was like, ah, my voice is not not where it needs to be. Like, this fits into the category of losing my voice. It got worse from there, though, but the point is, you could say I lost my voice before the game even started, and by the time it ended, not good. Still recovering, obviously not in great shape. The other thing is, I, I mentioned this before, but my dad's in town, so we uh, we went to the hockey game. Uh, I was just I was just scrolling through Twitter this morning, and we didn't have any plans today. I saw the the clip of Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson in Rockies uniforms taking batting practice. I was like, well, wait, what's that about? I was like, if they're they're doing this already, is there an afternoon game? So it, it turned out the Rockies play today. Uh, so we went to that, and. Uh, 
my I, I I I have like an allergy thing going, which I'm not sure if it's from being outside. I put on like three layers of sunscreen. It was disgusting, and like I always do, I put way too much on my eyelids, and then I sweat, gets in my eye, and it's a mess. And I don't know if that triggers like an allergy thing. It was also like 95 degrees and sunny, so I wonder if that factors in. For some reason, just basically from the neck up, I am a wreck right now. Um, but we're gonna power through, and also kind of crazy like you always talk about like yeah it's good for it's good for a team like the Rockies just to have like a Russell Wilson around Peyton Manning around to today like I literally bought tickets to that game bought half the food on the menu and would not have known that it was happening if not for Peyton Manning and Russell Wilson there so it's kind of like a very very tangible look this actually did work but that's not relevant at all um Ooh, we also haven't talked about the new floor for the basketball court. Um, we'll save that for tomorrow. And if we wind up being short or have extra time or whatever, uh, maybe we'll get into that later. But I do have some thoughts on the new basketball court. I should say, like, we haven't seen it. We just know that there is a new one. And unless they're going to announce what it looks like tomorrow, which would surprise me, uh, you know. The we have there's plenty of time to talk about it, so we'll plan on doing that tomorrow. I'll put that in my notes. Um, so back around to the new linebacker at CU, Josh Chandler Semedo. And the reason we're doing this today is because yesterday on three sports, which is uh, a newer company. They it looks like they started their Twitter account in August of 2020. So they've been around for that long. Also, though, like if that's when it starts, people start hearing about you now. They have 44,000 followers on Twitter. They're not like super big, but they do have um, a, a, a niche that they've created. I hate that word. I wish there was an. I gotta find a new word for that word. Um, but what they do, one of the things they're best known for, is creating valuations on NIL stuff. So, like, every player, in theory, like, I think in two years, they'll probably have every player in college football, they'll say what their NIL value is. Like, if this player were to hit the open market, they they would get offered this. This is, like, their, their market value right now to come to a school, which is an interesting concept. Um, we're not digging too deep into that today just because they haven't filled out the Colorado page all that much. Um, and there's some, some weird, it's wrong. Like they, they did not get the most valuable players. I think like Drew Carter's number two or three or something. It's like, nah, shot at Drew down the road. Absolutely. Maybe. But right now, like there's, there's a list of guys in front of him, like the, the two quarterbacks competing for the starting job. Um, Point of all that is to say they're kind of a recruiting website. They they cover a lot of NIL stuff. They created these NIL valuations. They're growing. And in general, I respect a lot of the things that they do. Um, you know, there's that Twitter account that just throws out lists where it's like, here are the best wide receivers coaches in the country. And that guy, he's throwing shit against the wall. Um, that's not somebody who knows what he's talking about. Uh, this, though is something that I put a little bit more stock in. Um, yeah. A and 
again, it sounds like I'm really trying to like explain th- here's here's what they did. Yesterday, Wednesday morning, they tweeted out their 10 best returning linebackers in college football. So these are the best linebackers in the country who aren't true freshmen, aren't recruits, uh, which would make you think they're probably the top 10. It's unlikely a freshman just shows up and winds up in the top 10. On that list, I mean, Trenton, Trenton Simpson from uh, from Clemson is number one. You've got Noah Sewell from Oregon. He's number two. Um, at number five, though, Josh chandler Samedo. Um, one spot actually in front of Edifuan Ilifosio. Um, so there, there are names on this list where you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Seeing Josh chandler Samedo on this list, to be honest, su- surprised me. Um, surprised me. So I went back and rewatched some more of Josh to see if I was missing something. You know, where it's like, okay, sometimes when I go through, like, I, I also do like our draft podcast, for example. So on the draft podcast, you're you're looking for NFL traits, right? And so it's like this guy does this, is that projectable? This guy does that, can he clean it up? Like so, so it's looking through that lens. And so I do think that sometimes when I go through and you know watch like high school tape for guys who are going to college, I really struggle with it a lot. Um and that's probably not related, it's just hard to gauge that talent in general. Um unless you see those guys in person. Like it seems like when you see them in person if there's a Division One football player, Power Five football player, ninety percent of the time you can just point at him and say, "Yup, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a Power Five guy. He stands out. That's him." Um, in college football, you go through and it's like you can find the strengths and weaknesses and things. Um, but I wonder if I was a little bit too hard on Josh Chandler Tomato. So I went back through, and I have a couple new thoughts about Josh. I'll still say right now that he's... It surprises me that he's number five on this list still. I still am not sitting here thinking like, wow, the Buffs the Buffs have potentially one of the best linebackers in the country here. Um, they, got a, they, got a good, they got a good one. He is a starter on this football team and will probably challenge for all Pac-12 honors. Um, but, but we'll dig into that part a little bit more in a second. Um, before we get into all that, I do want to just talk a little bit more about Josh Chandler Samedo um, and who he is just kind of like on paper, the measurables, that sort of thing. Um, for those of you who maybe missed the podcast or really dug in on him or, or whatever, um, Josh Chandler Samedo, like I said before, is coming over from West Virginia. Um, his first year at West Virginia was in 2018. So he played there 2018, 2019, 2020. He was a junior. 2021, he was a senior. But you have that COVID year. So this is going to be his fifth season of college football. He hasn't redshirted. Uh, so this will be his final year of eligibility. Uh, played in 44 games there. Again, starting as a freshman. Um, and and started 31, st- 31 of those games. So 31 starts in his career. Obviously, that is a very experienced football player. Um, assuming things go according to plan, he'll finish his career with 44 starts. No, 43. Ah, 44 at the bowl game, I guess. Which, again, when you think about four seasons, it's 48 games. He's pretty close to coming to what should be kind of the record at CU, right? For starts. 
Like, you wouldn't think you'd have anybody over, I guess, 48 plus four bowl games. 52 is the maximum possible. In the last couple of years, they changed that redshirt rule, so you can redshirt if you play four games. Say you start all four of those. I guess 56 is the maximum possible. 52 up until a few years ago. And, you know, this... He could get up to 45. 44. I wonder what the record is. Or not even... I bet somebody's maxed it out. Like, I wonder if Max Crosby was around for... Not Max Crosby. Mason Crosby. Sorry. I wonder if Mason Crosby was around for four full years and he would have started every game. So that'd be 48 plus bowl games. Um, But how many people are in that category? I doubt there's that many. Uh, Point of all this is to say very experienced. Um, Very experienced. Uh, Mostly plays the mic. uh, Spends a little bit of time at weak side linebacker. That's where he started out as a freshman. Um, Saw a little bit of that. Especially so I went back and watched the TCU game in particular. Saw bits and pieces of some other stuff. But the TCU game in particular I, I tuned into in depth and he spent a lot of time at weak side linebacker and that was this season um in his career i mean had 110 tackles last year um has 260 in his career uh was was honorable mention all big 12 twice third team all big 12 according to phil Steele this year um so has never been first or second team All Big 12. Has never been truly All Big 12. Um, has been honorable mention, I think, his sophomore and senior seasons. So, again, I, I think he's like a, a three-time West Virginia Defensive Player of the Week. Which, for a guy who you're saying is number five linebacker in the country, you'd think on his team. I mean, how many times is Nate the, the, number, uh, the Defensive Player of the Week at CU? Probably quite a few. Um, so... There we go. Um, I feel like that basically sums it all up. Oh, I should say, the thing about Josh Chandler Semedo is that he's five foot ten and two hundred and twenty six pounds. At least that's what he was listed at at West Virginia. I'm not sure what he'll be listed at at CU. We'll figure that out when we get to that point. Um, but obviously undersized, um, and that's why you know odds are not much of an NFL future for him that's what you would say just based on being 226 pounds as a linebacker. Um, Davion Taylor, I think, was playing around that same size, plays a little bit different role, or did at CU at least. Um, Now he's basically just a middle linebacker for the Eagles, which is something you wouldn't have expected. Um, And he's currently listed at 229. 230, 230 actually. But again, within four pounds. Um, So... He also had the crazy speed, and that's what stands out. And at CU, he was playing that hybrid position, that star position. Um, Buzz moved to linebacker. So there is a path, especially now in the modern NFL, still 226 pounds as a linebacker. That's not a big dude. Um, okay. I feel like that's enough background before we get into like the, the real details here. Um I guess I might as well start at the beginning instead of like I remember what I said about Josh Chandler Semedo on the podcast when he committed two months ago. Um, I would imagine you guys don't remember every detail of what I said. Um, and, and basically what I said the first time around was he he can struggle to get off of blocks. Um, he isn't a, 
I, you can't say he isn't a good tackler. I think I did at the time. I think I said he isn't he isn't a, a good tackler. You know, he knows where to be. Um, he's he's pretty solid. He's he buzzes around. Obviously, like what you really like is the versatility. You know, he's he's solid against the run. He's he's solid as as a cover linebacker. He is fast for a linebacker. He doesn't have like the Davion Taylor speed. He isn't like freaky fast. Um, but he is fast and he has good senses in zone coverage. Um, he's Probably, uh, would you take him or Robert Barnes as a cover linebacker? Um, I'd say in zone you take Chandler Semedo, in man you take Barnes. Um, and, and if you had to pick one to do both, it'd be a challenge. I'd lean Barnes just because I think he might have a little bit more upside there. Um, but very close, and on top of that, much better run defender. Um, so that was that was kind of the the key points from the first time we had this conversation. I think that, first of all, he's a good tackler. Um, and, and there's a couple ways to look at it. Um, he he doesn't miss that many tackles, and that's what really stands out. And I pulled these pages up. Oh, I do still have them open. Thank God. I thought I was going to have to navigate all the way through the Pro Football Focus website. Um, obviously, 110 tackles, that's a lot of tackles. I think the first number I want to hit he missed 9.9% of his attempted tackles. So just under 10% he missed. Um, compare that with the missed tackle rate. And this is for all of last season for CU. Um, we'll skip the guys who didn't play all that much. Actually, Devin Grant played quite a f- He had 12 tackles and didn't miss a tackle. He, we'll, we'll give him some props for that. Um, nine of those were actually stops, which again... We'll define stops right now because it's going to come up later. This is a pro football focus stat. It means that uh, on first down, you gave up less than half of the distance to the to the line to gain, so less than five yards. Um, typically, on second down, you give up less than 75% of, of the yardage to gain for a first down. And on third or fourth down, you don't give up the first down, so it's a tackle in front of the sticks. Um is it perfect? No. It's a stat in football, and football stats are generally kind of garbage for the most part. Um, but that does stand out now just in going back and looking. 12 tackles, 9 of them were stops, no missed tackles. Well, we're going to have a Devin Grant podcast at some point here. Um, let's see what else stands out. I mean, Marvin Ham had 15 tackles with one miss. Um, Isaiah Lewis... And these are the. This is where we're going to get. So Isaiah Lewis, fifty nine tackles, missed on eight point nine percent of his tackle attempts. So a little bit better than Josh Chandler Semedo. Um, Robert Barnes, thirty three tackles, four misses. That's nine point eight percent. Everybody else gave up more than ten percent. Uh, like missed tackles, ten percent of their attempts were missed, um, and that's uh, you know Carson Wells is there at ten point two, uh, Christian Gonzalez twelve point nine, Quinn Perry fourteen point one, Nate Landman fifteen point one, uh, Mark Perry seventeen point nine, Mustafa eighteen, um, Terrence twenty two. Uh, who was the biggest? Alvin Williams. Well, this doesn't really count. He had one tackle and one missed tackle. Um, Nico Reed had six misses and six tackles. Nigel Bethel had six tackles and three misses. So I there you go. 
point is, in terms of getting guys on the ground, Josh Chandler Semedo is very good at it. That is something that he is very good at, and that that does stand out. The thing is, you know, when Nate tackles somebody, he he hits them, and they go backward. Uh, at, at the very least, they don't go forward, but they typically go backward. Um, with Josh Chandler Semedo, you know, he's a bit of a, a drag down sort of tackler, the the wrap and roll style of tackling. He's not a you're coming at me, I'm right here. Let me put my weight into you. We're gonna have a head on collision. You're going backwards. Um, there, there's a couple of those, but but that's just not his game. Again, how could it be? He's an undersized linebacker. Um, but I think not having that ability, I maybe, and I think this fits a lot of these categories. You compare everything to Nate, right? Where if you're saying this is the number five linebacker in the country, I think that last year Nate probably was the number five linebacker in the country. Um, you can make the case for higher, you can make the case for lower. He's not so versatile. He's really good at stopping the run. Um, but, you know, when you have that guy and you say this guy's that guy, it's like, okay, okay, well, Nate did this. And so I think because of that, that comparison, it's a little bit unfair. Um, and I do think that that piece in particular, the first time through the tape, it, uh, I, I underrated his ability to get guys on the ground and, and spent too much time thinking about the fact that, yeah, maybe he does give up a little bit more. And sometimes that hurts you. It, it, it does matter. You know, there was, there was one play against TCU where Max Duggan, the quarterback, you know, he drops back to pass. It's third and six. And it's one of the, I think it's like a, a four man rush. And so when you have that, sometimes you have like the edges go around the outside, the tackles kind of spread a little bit, and all of a sudden the C's kind of part, and there's just a running lane right up the middle. And that's one where Josh Semedo on a third and six, he he grabs the quarterback at three yards downfield, and he's able to kind of fall forward for the final three, and it's a first down. It's like on that one, does Nate get him down? I would say yeah, probably. But there are also times where we saw Nate miss that tackle, um, just being perfectly honest here. So... Is he the perfect tackler? No, Josh Chandler Semedo is not the perfect tackler. But he did have 110 tackles last year. And I think that there is... There's a reason for it. He is good at getting guys onto the ground. Um, I'll also add, you know, just looking at the stop numbers, he had 41 stops this season... Um, didn't play quite as much. Oh, 2020 season. That's why I didn't play so much. Um, t- t- let's say, what is the best way to put this in perspective? Uh, 41 stops in 722 snaps. So let's actually just figure out what that number is. 41 in 722. So that's 0.056. Um, 2019, 472 snaps and 26 stops 25 stops there we go that's about the same 0.053 so so he's been pretty consistent at this rate um versus you know you look at Nate Landman was the stops leader last year 39 stops compared to Josh Chandler Tomatoes 41 and Nate you'll remember got hurt in the seventh game of the season didn't play again so he played about six and a half games if he had finished off that seventh game, I bet he would have gotten enough to get in front, um, or at least tie. And so you look at that and say, okay, he played 420 snaps. 
So we'll plug that 420 in real quick. <laughs> 420. Uh, and then put 39. So he's providing almost, not quite, twice as many stops per snap. Just to put that in perspective. And while I, I think his tackle numbers are probably just a little bit better as well. Um, Carson Wells was second. Had 29 stops in... Uh, 740 snaps. So that's about the same. So 740. He he played more snaps, had fewer stops. Again, you're playing on the edge of the defense. You're not you, you're not involved in every play over there. Um, Quinn Perry, 28 stops in 502 um, snaps. I could have done this math before, but that puts him just behind where Josh Chandler Semedo is. And again, what what's the complaint with Quinn Perry? Something similar to Josh Chandler Semedo, but a little bit different. Um, he does have a little bit more stopping power. Uh, not not like Nate. Almost nobody has it like Nate. But but Quinn Perry does have a little bit better stopping power than Josh Chandler Semedo. He's a little bit less likely to be in the right spot. And I don't even know if that's right. He's, he's not going to get to that same spot as quickly as Josh Chandler Semedo does. You know, that's processing and then just pure quickness. And and Chan- Josh Chandler Tomato beats him out on the quickness, beats him out just a little bit on the processing, and because of that, he's getting to the place a little bit quicker. Um, still, though, you you see Quinn Perry put up a, a this very similar stop number, um, just in, on a per per play basis. Um, so you get there in a different way. It's that stopping power that he that he has more of um, that balances out the other piece. So it's kind of interesting. I went through these numbers earlier, but didn't write them down. Um, and so I do think that when, when you look at that and say, who is Josh Chandler Semedo? You're, you're skipping some steps, but you, you could kind of say he's Quinn Perry, who's better in zone coverage. And again, like in terms of the, the things that he adds versus Quinn Perry, they're different. But in terms of just their value to the running game, I think the value is about the same. And if on top of that, he's he's good in zone coverage, he's solid in man coverage as well. Um, they, I think they actually lined him up in the slot occasionally. I could be off on that, um, but let me let me double check. Yeah, so slot corner played 38 snaps over the course of the season, uh, which is what, a little less than four a game, so not a lot of it, uh, but there is some. I wonder, This will do the breakdown. Um, so middle linebacker 129 snaps left inside linebacker 213 right inside linebacker 173 so that's that's a big bulk of it Um, right linebacker 53 snaps left linebacker 62 snaps those are outside so it is a pretty solid like 5 to 1 maybe not quite 5 to 1 4 to 1 ratio that he's inside linebacker versus outside uh, which again, they they played a little bit different system. There was more of the no, they're, they're actually yeah. I mean, it was a three four, but they they were pretty versatile with it. I think like you saw him line up on the edge, like they'd rush him off the edge, um, and those were not counted in the stats that I had before. Those are lined up on the line of scrimmage, obviously. So I don't know where where am I going with all this. Uh, Josh Taylor Tomato, he's a versatile piece. He is a versatile piece. And because of that, I think it's kind of hard to say where he fits in at Colorado. I think that 
you know, let, let's say Josh Chandler Semedo is the, the number five linebacker in the country, and I've been misevaluating him, and when all of the college coaches in the country said, hmm, who's in the transfer portal, and they looked at Josh Chandler Semedo, they said, ooh, this guy's the fifth best linebacker in the country. Um, most of them would obviously say, yeah, let's try to go get that guy, and I don't know what his offers looked like. I'm not sure what his options were. Um is there a world in which he says, you know what, I could go play for whoever, whoever, and I'm going to decide to play for CU? I think so. And I think that if that's the case, then there's a good chance that he said, well, you know what, Nate Landman's gone. I can slide right into his role. You look at what he did here. Sure, I'm undersized, but I do provide more in coverage. This would be a great place, a great system to go prove myself and then take it to the next level. On top of that, it isn't just Nate. Colorado has a history of inside linebackers. Let me go be a part of that lineage, a part of that brand, and see what I can do. Um, I know that I'm going to be a stud there. I know that I'm going to be one of their best players, and maybe that sounds a little bit better than saying, Ah, I could go to Georgia, which again, I don't think he had that offer. Um, but at Georgia, you know, go compete for time with all these big SEC boys. They want to potentially find a freshman. They probably have three freshman linebackers who they think are going to be really good. And one or two of them, they're going to want to get on the field because they can use them for three years and they want to get them up to speed and maximize them. Like, the, there is some appeal there. I don't know what other offers he had. Um, but if he really is the number five linebacker in the country, could he choose Colorado? He could. He could. Um, he could. Anything else I want to get here? Where do, where does he fit in? I guess the, all of that was to say, if you do go down that path, you probably want to play middle linebacker, right? Because you want to fit into that Nate role. You want to kind of stick where you've been. Um, in reality, though, his best fit is going to be as a weak side linebacker in a 4-3. I'm pretty confident in that. Or maybe you put him in a 3-4 and everything gets clogged up up front. Um, eh. I'd put him in a 4-3 as a weak side linebacker. Um, You you don't put him in his position to make quite so many tackles, but I still think he's he's good enough at reading what's happening in front of him that he'll get himself in situations to make tackles. And the other thing is... You kind of want him as a second tackler, right? You're not He's not somebody you say, like, let's go get him one-on-one. There were a lot of times where he, like, held somebody up and then somebody else finished him. You know, there's th- there's that sort of thing going on. Um, and, you know, like, five and a half tackles for loss. That's that's a solid season. That's a very solid season. Uh, but I it, when you have 110 tackles total, it would have been nice to get that up closer to 10. Um, I'm going to see if I can pull up Colorado's defense uh, defensive stats here. So, uh, Carson Wells, 13 and a half tackles for loss. Nate had six. Again, got hurt in that seventh game. Christian Gonzalez had five and a half. Mustafa had five. Naim had four and a half. Guy had four. He missed a lot of the season. Um, Quinn Perry had three and a half. So, Ian, like five and a half, that's not 
ideal for your middle linebacker, your run-stuffing middle linebacker. But if he's providing that, and he's also providing quite a bit in coverage, again, that's a that's a very good piece to have. And I think it's easy to look at guys and say like, oh, let's just get a good run defender, get get sub Nate out if you need to, put a put a safety on the field or something in his place on third downs. To have somebody who's versatile, can do a bunch of different things, there is a lot of value in that. Um, there's more value on the offensive side of the ball, in my opinion. There's plenty of value on the defensive side as well. Um, and I do think that that's kind of where Josh Chandler's tomato fits in is anywhere, really. And you have those three linebacker spots, and you kind of have to decide who you take off the field. You know, if do you want Quinn Perry out there? You know, again, not great in coverage, but you could put him in a situation where he's specifically playing the run. Um, almost think about it as if you're rushing five every play. You have Josh Chomis-Mato sitting back a little bit, reading, and he's quick enough reading that even if he takes a step backwards at first, he can still burst forward because he sees it's a run play quickly. He knows where it's going because he's seen so much football. That could be the case. You take Marvin Ham off. You take Robert Barnes off because you want more tackling ability. All these things are possible, and they're all things that could be changing week to week as well. So I'm still not sold that Josh chandler Tomato is the number five linebacker in the country. Um, that's just being blunt. I wish I could sit here and say, like, yeah, I think this guy's going to be stuck. I think he's going to be good. I think that if I had to make a bet, I, he probably finishes his honorable mention all-pack 12. Um, is is second team All Pac-12 more likely than than not making the list at all? I th- I think so. I th- I think I would say that. Um, but first team, I'd say probably not more likely than just missing out on all of it. Uh, it's just tough to say. Um, but I do think that looking at it right now, you can easily say he's one of your five best players on defense. I- I'm confident in saying that. Um, when you look at who else they have, um, you know, top guy, it's a it's a tough question, right? Like, it could be Isaiah Lewis. It could be Guy Thomas. It, it could be one of these cornerbacks. It could be Naeem Rodman, Jalen Sami. Naeem could really take a step, I think. Um, Robert Barnes could take a step. But I do think that when all this shakes out, some of those guys are going to pan out, some are not. And Josh Chandler Semedo is going to be he's he's not gonna bust. We'll knock on wood whenever we say something like that, but there's just no reason to think that he could go be a a, a good linebacker in the Big Twelve. Again, if you're all Big Twelve third team, let's say that's what honorable mention basically means, then that means that your position, middle linebacker, there were two guys better than you out of those fourteen teams. That's pretty good. That's a good football player. Um, and, and he's going to be solid. He's going to be good probably even. Um, is he going to be great? We'll see. We'll see. Josh Chandler-Semedo, though, he is... I, I don't think I've been as excited about him as I should be um, because he could be a true impact player for this defense. Before we have a quickish talk about... Just some of the Pac-12 scheduling and timing sorts of things for football. Uh, there are two of our friends that I want to shout out. First of all, Breckenridge Brewery. I've said this a couple times, but go to breckbrew.com, click on like the 
community hero thing, avalanche thing, because you can nominate somebody in the community who does something awesome and is an Avs fan, and Breckenridge will give them two tickets to the Stanley Cup final. It's a really cool promotion, and it comes with a beer. It comes with, uh, oh, gear. There's gear and beer. Gear and be- should be easy to remember. Um, obviously, like, the tickets probably a little bit more valuable than the the free beer you get at the game but still it's a free beer if if it's a $1500 ticket well guess what now it's worth $15 and 14 no $1514.50 if it's the beer i think it is um so do that and also 1% oh no not 1% a portion of all proceeds, of all sales, of the Avalanche Amber Ale throughout the playoffs will be donated to the Community Fund Boulder County to benefit Marshall Fire victims. So buy Breckenridge beers, nominate somebody at breckbrew.com. Also, we have a new promotion from DraftKings Sportsbook. It feels like we've been talking about the old one for, gee, I don't even know how long, but it's basically the same promotion, but for hockey. Uh, you bet $5 on any bet on any Stanley Cup final game and you will get $150 in free bets whether your bet hits or not. You'll actually get that money right away Uh, and then you can bet it on that same game. You can bet on other things and uh, make sure you do that. It's only for new users but there's same game parlays, all that sort of stuff. I missed my same game parlay at this Rockies game today. I'm sure you're all surprised. uh, the, the, The problem with it was that I had the Rockies winning which you would think I would know better than to do, but also you're like, you're not you're not really getting swept, right? You're not that embarrassing. It's like, yeah, you're the Rockies, you're that embarrassing. But um, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code DMVR, and new customers can bet $5 on either NHL team to win their game. Oh, it's not quite the same. You do have to bet on them to win their game. And get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code DMVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Stanley Cup Final. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Um, Like I said, John Wilner had a bit of a a scoop today. Um, And basically what happened was he he talked to some media execs who've heard that the, the real thing, well... What people outside of the Pac-12 offices always talk about are the, the how inconvenient the Pac-12 after dark games are. Um, but what they're more concerned about is the the timetable for scheduling. So basically, like we just got this batch, remember, of, of game times. So we know the the times for all the games for the first few weeks and weeknights uh, throughout the season. So that comes out now. I think it's the rest of the games that are announced on a 6- or 12-day notice. Um, and basically, Fox and ESPN, they both get a couple where they only have to give six-game notices. The rest are 12. Um, and they get to pick the games. And it's basically a draft every week for whatever. Um, that is the process that sounds like, according to John Wilner's sources, and again, we should probably say this, John Wilner, the uh, top dog in Pac-12 coverage, um, especially the behind-the-scenes stuff, like the Pac-12 offices, decision-making, that sort of thing. Wilner Hotline, Mercury News, syndicated, can read it all over the place, especially if you're in Pac-12 territory. Um, does great work. We talk about him like once a week, but uh, he is his scoop that basically said they're more worried about changing the scheduling 
than they are about some of the other stuff. And they don't want to... It, it's interesting. And we'll, we'll leave... I guess there's one more piece. Um, and the idea is that it's hard for people to schedule around these game times. It's hard for them to plan their lives, whether it's booking flights, whether it's whatever. And to be honest, I don't totally agree. Like, I will say that's... Obviously, I book some flights to these sorts of things, and it can be really annoying when you don't know the time. Um, you know, Arizona State game, for example. I remember going through the process of trying to get tickets for that, and when you don't know if it's going to be like an 11 a.m. game or whether it's going to be an 8 p.m. game, it's like, well, I would love to be able to just book a 10 o'clock flight out of there and, you know, go to the game at noon, it ends at 4, go to press conferences, done with those at 5, right until 7, get a podcast done between 7 and 8, and then head to the airport for a 10 o'clock flight. That would be perfect. But you just don't know what you're working with. And so it is inconvenient. But I don't... Maybe I'm crazy, but it doesn't seem like that applies to too many people. Because if you're getting short notice on a game in Boulder, I that doesn't hurt at all. At least not to me. And maybe there's other people who have like families and things... And, you know, Brian Howell, he's, there's a, a, what happens in the fall? There's a, there's a barbecue, it's September, there's, it's a birthday barbecue for one of his, his, for his brother. His brother has a birthday barbecue, I don't even know that he has a brother, and it's at noon, and he wants to go to that, and he's like, well, I wish I knew if the game was going to be at 8 or at noon, because then I'd know if I could do that, you know, so maybe in that, but even then, like, does it really matter? The only difference is, like, you either get to tell them you're going to be able to make it or not two weeks beforehand. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it matters all that much unless you're traveling, which I, there are people who travel. Specifically, like, parents of the players travel. There's boosters who travel. Um, and it is nice to be able to know. I don't, to me, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But what do I know? Um, maybe more so it's for things like, scheduling promotions for the game um like like you go to the the buffs website right now and look at the schedule and i just happened to stumble across this and they've announced some of these things on the internet as well but like the first game they call it buffs wear black um so everybody's wearing black for that one um the the fourth game september 24th against ucla it's a gold rush everybody's supposed to wear gold um also gold rush is a montana state thing that feels pretty stolen by the buffs and we hate Montana State, and I don't like that this is happening, but we're not going down that road today. Um, or uh, well, I thought there was another. No, I guess those are the only one, only two announced. There's like a poll going up. You guys should vote in, but it's like stripes or blackout or something like that. I don't know. Go look on the, on, on the old Twitter. But if you were scheduling something like that UCLA game um, where there's the gold rush, maybe you would want to wear black if it's a night game and you don't know. You know, so I guess for those sorts of things, it could be convenient for planning. Um, maybe you're trying to get like some, I don't, I'm trying to think of examples. I'm not good at these things. Like if my job was to market things and it's like, okay, what's our, it's the second, second TV timeout of the second quarter, time to cut to this. And like half the time it's like Rick George giving somebody a check or something or getting a check depending on who the other person is or it's like oh look it's it's phil Lindsay. he's here today everybody wave at phil and everybody waves at phil but maybe there's something like that that is like time of day related like you're 
They do, they would never do fireworks. I'm trying to think. What can you only do during the day? Like it's not like they're setting up a picnic down there. It's like oh, it's lunchtime. Have a picnic. That'd be dumb. Um, they're not serving dinner at dinner time. Uh, I don't know. Come on, I've got to be able to think of something. Otherwise, we just wasted a lot of time. We just wasted a lot of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's definitely nice to have notice on those sorts of things. Um, why take away more so is that they don't want to get out of the, uh, out of that late time slot, and that's something that John Wilner threw out there from that same source, basically saying like, the Pac-12 needs to own that, like that. 8 o'clock mountain time TV slot because people want to watch football. And yeah, on the East Coast where it's 10 o'clock, are they going to see the fourth quarter? They sure as hell are not. But people on the West Coast will, and people on the East Coast will at least watch the start, which is better than if you put it at 1 o'clock and they're all watching whoever Bama's playing. You know, so so I, I totally agree. You do have to keep that Pac-12 after dark. Now, you could be a little more strategic about it, right? Because... What what do people like about Pac-12 After Dark? It's chaos. Like, playing games that late, games that end at 11.30, um, which is just so late. Games that end at 11.30, you're, you're throwing in that tired aspect into it. Like, people just get tired. It's the same thing if you kicked off at 8 a.m., where you're just like, yeah, some of these guys are just not going to be their best selves at this point. Same thing that late at night. There, there's something about that, and who knows, maybe there's other factors that just turn those games into chaos. And let's say USC is everything that ESPN thinks it is, it, which it isn't, but we're pretending that USC actually is a really great team. If you're having USC play Stanford at 10 o'clock Eastern time, You're just putting a roadblock in their right way that shouldn't be there. Now, if you want to throw Washington State and Washington on there, yeah, Washington's not competing for college football playoff. Would be nice if they could be ranked instead of in the receiving votes category. Yeah, and you don't really want to put them in a bad situation. But the truth is, there's drama, and drama's good. Except for when it's with your very, very best teams. So if there's a way to keep... The, the teams that are actually competing for things that matter at the end of the season, which in the, which is a national title. Like, maybe... I get Pac-12 Championship 2. Pac-12 Championship 2. If, if you're in the Pac-12 Championship running, you shouldn't have to play in that time uh, that time slot. And, I mean, once you when you're in week one of conference play, everybody's in the running. But in that situation, you say, hey, let's just give this a weird game and say... Who's toward the bottom in both? Let's have Arizona play. Some people think Cal is going to be good. Washington State. Washington State's not going. Arizona, Arizona State. That'd be a good one. You got the rivalry aspect. It'd be a little bit early in the season. for. I don't know. But but don't put Oregon and USC and Utah there. Because as much as I hate to say it, those are the teams that have a real chance at the college football playoff. And you got to maximize those. And the conference knows that. And so I do think that you have to be pretty strategic about those sorts of things. Um, but I also think that you do need to have those games. And the chaos is good TV. Just makes it bad TV in November when all your teams have four losses. So there's my thoughts on that stuff. Um, what did I say we were going to do tomorrow? Let me put that in my notes so I don't forget. Uh, I cannot remember right now. Oh, the new basketball court. Just some ideas for it. That's that's worth a couple of minutes at least. 
Um, but that will do it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with more. And I will see you then.